Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everyone, my name is Eric Arnaud, and this is a special bonus episode of the Nerdlog Presents Eeyore Stories podcast. We recorded this last month at the Jangle Heart Festival, a super fun weekend of comedy organized by Upstairs Gallery, who, you may remember, used to give us our show space last year. Upstairs guru Alex Hanet was kind enough to let us take part in the podcast portion of the festival, so that's what we did. Because it was Upstairs' first festival, and our first as well, we went with the theme of First Times. Reflecting on that theme, we've got a bevy of other podcast hosts, including Mary Beth Smith, Tim Dunn, Aaron McGaffey, Jordan Gargulo, and Mark Colum. Links to all their podcasts will be posted on our homepage at yourstories.podbean.com, and you should definitely check them out. Speaking of other podcasts, this past month the Nerdalog launched two more of our own. The above-mentioned Mary Beth Smith hosts a wonderful show called MBSing, where she sits down with a friend to dig into something he or she loves. In addition, Nerdalog's member Chris Geiger hosts the Nerdalogcast, a combination chat comedy show that will probably make you stupid with laughter. Uh, seriously, it's pretty funny. You can find links to both of those on our homepage as well, or just follow the Nerdalog Facebook page for updates at facebook.com slash the-nerdalogs. Our next sketch show will be Sunday, October 6th at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The show is called The Nerdalog Presents Screw These Guys, Am I Right? And it takes a look at what might happen if the group ever went their separate ways. Two weeks after that, on the 20th, we've got the next Your Stories recording, which has a related theme of Other Options. So if you like what you hear today, come on down to the Public House Theater, enjoy a free show, and maybe get on a podcast. That's all I've got for you today, guys, so please enjoy this very special and cool episode. Without further ado, Eric or no? Hey, guys. Usually we have like a room of 30, uh, and we don't tonight, so I appreciate you all being an enthusiastic uh, six or seven. That's that's great. Uh, At this point in the show, usually my buddy Dwight and I would play songs that fit the theme, but no music tonight. Uh, It would have just been Foreigner feels like the first time over and over and over (laughs) again. I'm going to pipe that into the podcast right here. Anyway, so the theme tonight is first times, because this is the first time uh, Upstairs Gallery is doing a festival. It's the first time we've been at a festival. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. We're going to kick the night off with Nerdalogs member Mary Beth Smith. Uh, yeah. uh, as Chris mentioned, everyone here tonight hosts a podcast. Mary Beth's podcast is called MBSing. She sits down with someone to talk about what they love for like 45 minutes. I just did it. I talked about Bruce Springsteen. It, she's an excellent, excellent hostess. So Mary Beth, take it away. Me too, me too, was the first line that I ever said on stage. If you missed it, that's okay. A lot of audience members at the time probably did too. I was five, and I was playing the Two of Hearts in the Community Playhouse of Lancaster County's production of Alice in Wonderland. The line was in response to another of the cards saying that he wanted to play croquet. If you missed the fact that my first line on stage was a play on words, as I was the Two of Hearts... So did I, for many, many years. 
I had been four when I auditioned for the play at the beginning of the summer, and the director had had to tell me what to say and when to say it because I, I couldn't really read yet. I feel fairly certain that the only reasons I auditioned were that my dad had been in the Community Playhouse's production of Oliver the spring before as Fagin, and my brother was auditioning for Alice in Wonderland, too. He's five years my elder and got cast as the Mad Hatter. I always have and always will owe his achievement of getting a much larger role on his age, and no one can convince me differently. <laughs> Nor could they for the next eight years, as he got larger roles every time we auditioned together. But I digress. I remember really liking his friends and spending time with them because I felt like they appreciated me, appreciated me a bit more than the kids my age, a pattern that continued for most of our young lives. I never could have expected that my Alice in Wonderland experience would lead to being in a play almost every summer after that for the next 13 years. I missed Robin Hood to go on an Alaskan cruise with my grandparents the summer before 8th grade, and I missed one other production the summer before my senior year of high school to do scientific research at the University of South Carolina. But every other summer, I was there. Uh, some of my favorite roles included Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, Violet Beauregard in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a dwarf in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, for the podcast listeners, I was typecast. Uh, Baby Rue and Winnie the Pooh, and a lost boy in Peter Pan, with my dad playing Captain Hook. Uh, there was a lot of cross-casting. It's hard to get young boys enthused about glorified version of playing dress-up. Getting to spend time with my family was a great plus of the shows, but I really loved the acting and singing and general camaraderie of the theater. But the idea of lasts intrigues me as much, if not more, than the idea of firsts. My last production with the Community Playhouse was Alice in Wonderland. That's called a bookend, my friends. Uh, Alice is the alpha and the omega. I had to come home from my residential high school one weekend for a solo audition, as the general auditions were midweek, thus solidifying one of my father's life lessons to me. It's not what you know, it's who you know. In this case, I knew the director. It was the same director as it had been 13 years ago. She didn't have to tell me what to say and when to say at this time, and when the cast list was posted, I had risen in the ranks quite a bit. It took 13 years, but I went, made my way from the Two of Hearts to the Queen of Hearts, and it was going to be really badass. <laughs> I was easily the oldest person in the cast, but it felt like an appropriate swan song. It was interesting to me to be the wise, cool one that all the kids looked up to. I, I literally don't know if I've ever felt wiser or cooler <laughs> in my entire life. My favorite cast member was a black guy named Juan Zay who played the white rabbit. <laughs> eh? Eh? <laughs> no offense to any of the other lamer kids, but Juan Zay was cool as shit. <laughs> and he was 12 years old. Uh, we quickly entered each other's top eight on MySpace, which sounds more like a weird euphemism than anything else at this point in our society. Overall, it was a, a kind of strange experience. I was a high school graduate and probably too old to be participating, but I think the growing pains were necessary for me to really close that chapter in my life. The chapter that meant spending every summer tooling around backstage playing things like Egyptian rat screw and war between scenes. The chapter that meant somebody else doing my stage makeup for me, even though I was probably old enough to do it myself because I'm garbage at traditional girl things. And the chapter that meant 
toiling during the school year to get to the time when I got to see the people who really understood me, as opposed to the kids that I went to school with who saw me as that short girl who actually liked math. <laughs> Honestly, the fact that those summers easily contain my favorite memories of childhood should have been a neon arrow indicating to me that performing was something that I needed to keep doing for as long as I can stand it, or as long as people will let me, and then probably for longer after that. But it wasn't during a crisis during my senior year of college that I decided to move to Chicago to keep doing this. Maybe one day I'll play the queen again, but I'm mostly thrilled to still be that two of hearts with my hand thrust in the air yelling, me too, me too, at every performance opportunity this city yields. Thanks. Chris, make a note, write a scene where she's a two of hearts. <laughs> on it, all right. Uh, coming up next, we have the host of Talking Games with Tim and Clayton, which is appropriate because last time he told the story, it was about having amorous feelings for a video game character. <laughs> I won't get into the specifics. Tim does everybody. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, the last time, the last two times I've been on, I've done a monologue for the Nerdlogs, I've talked about falling in love with a nerd girl. And uh, we'll just say it, masturbating to a video game. <laughs> so anyways, uh, today I thought I'd do a 180. We're talking about first times. I thought I'd talk about, in my own nerdy way, the one and only time I got drunk and ran away from the cops. So um, a little backstory. I was kind of straight edge in high school, which uh, surprises no one. Uh, <laughs> people are making straight edge signs with their hands. Anyways, uh, there was a dare essay contest in my high school, and I got third place. I got to choose between a backpack and a kickball. I picked the kickball, and I think I regret that, looking back on it. But there was a contest, not really, I guess, I guess sort of a pact with our guidance counselor that if you abstain from alcohol or drugs all throughout high school, they would buy you a steak lunch. At Timber Lodge Steakhouse. So, so I was one of the like 20 kids out of my massive class that did this. And it, like partway through the lunch, I realized this was a, a waste. Here's why. I thought when we'd get there, it'd be like a goddamn feast. We had a select menu we could order from for the reward steak lunch. So the summer after senior year, I kind of was like, I, I just want to get drunk and party. And I wound up at this party of uh, uh, what you'd call cool kids. And I wasn't one of those at the time. I'm not now. Come on. None of us are. Uh, but I, I, you know, I was at uh, Ryan Fritzy's house. And he was like a bad kid from the other side of the tracks. And I was just drunk off... I think, honest to God, like white wine spritzer. And just like a full bottle of like white wine spritzer. And um, this beautiful girl, Johanna Eklund, in my class said, uh, do you want to uh, smoke weed with us? And Johanna's not only beautiful, nowadays she's a cancer researcher, which seems unfair. <laughs> like you shouldn't be able to be gorgeous and defeat cancer. <laughs> Like that's just that's, but I said yes because she was she was very attractive and so we went out there, and these uh, very pretty girls from my class were passing around marijuana and this light shines across her face and I'm like oh that's funny someone's playing a prank, I turn around and there's a cop just shining a light in all of their faces, and he says can I have that asking for the piece they were smoking from and 
He immediately starts taking the girls' names and starts pounding on the door. And the guys inside have already locked the door and won't let the cop in. So I have no idea. I have no clue why I thought of this or why I had the bravery to do this. Because I I wouldn't have it nowadays. (laughs) But I said, excuse me, officer. I know there's a back door. Do you want me to check there? And this this cop must have been right out of, I don't know, cop classes or whatever, went, yes, could you please do that for me? As if I, he was deputizing me or something. I don't know. So I, I ran around the side of the house, and I knock on the door, and I'm like, none of these cops are looking at me at this point in time, and I just bolt. And I'm, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm like, uh, overweight high school team at this point, so bolting is a relative term. Um, but I'm running through the streets of St. Anthony, Minnesota, and I stop, and this is before I became an atheist, I stop and I pray to God. <laughs> and I say, uh, God, if you just let me not get arrested tonight, I won't drink until I get to college. I wasn't saying ever, I just said until I get to college, which was three weeks from this point. <laughs> so I don't get caught, and the next day, I, I had sort this has sort of slipped my mind. My father was taking me on a trip to do 36 holes of golf, and I was absolutely hungover. If none of you have played 36 holes of golf, it should be used as torture for people. <laughs> no one should be out in the sun that long. And I was just hungover the entire time. And there came a point where, because we were with another father and a friend of mine, and he said, well, let's compete. And I'm terrible at golf. So there was some combination of being hungover and disappointing my father at golf that just led me to throw up on this golf course, (laughs) which apparently is a huge deal, and I did not know. Um, And... We get back to the we get back to the place where we were staying, and my father was like, "Were you drinking last night?" And he was like, "Yes, Dad." <laughs> and telling them about this story tonight, I swear to God, I thought I had told them that I ran away from the cops, and I informed them tonight. And my father said, "But you were so you were such a good kid in high school." Aww. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, don't run from the cops. <laughs> And never play 36 holes of golf. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Tim. So, you told your dad tonight, like, oh, this yeah, night. Oh, yeah, he had you... no idea. He had no idea I ran from guns. That's tremendous. Oh, my gosh. Love it. Uh, coming up next, we have Aaron McGathy, who hosts This Feels Terrible, which is a podcast where you talk to comedians about relationships. Uh, pretty sweet stuff. Miss mm-hmm. McGathy, please. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I love Chicago. Hey, Chicago! Aaron is from LA podcast. I'm from L. Yeah, I'm from LA. And uh, last night I went to bed at three, and I woke up at six because I was so excited to tackle the day. So I'm a little delirious, but having a great time. Um, I'm going to talk about the first time that I uh, that I ever made another girl cry. Uh, <laughs> When I was uh, I was a Navy kid, our, uh, my dad was a chaplain in the military, and we moved around a lot. And from 7 to 10, we lived in, my age is 7 to 10, not uh, AC. Um, we lived in Naples, Italy. And over the summers, we would drive around Naples, Italy, and our, not Naples, Italy, around Europe in a VW van and camp. Uh, and uh, this particular summer, I was 8 years old, and I had... Um, 
I had told, I had hacked off my own hair, uh, because I wanted to be a boy. It was also the same time that Madonna was having her boy toy tour. And at the airport, I saw a hat that said boy on it and gems. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I had no idea what it was. I like, I, I begged for it. And it was like one of the one, my parents never bought me anything, but they bought me this hat that said boy. <laughs> and we went on this, uh, we went on this trip around Europe. And, uh, this weekend we were going to Wales. And on the way there, uh, there is a, there's a sheep herder as there, as there are in Wales everywhere. There are sheep everywhere. And we saw a sheep herder, uh, herding sheep across the highway. And we stopped and my, I had a, uh, had one of those square cameras that looks like a sandwich that were around in the early nineties. And I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll take care of this. I'll take a, <laughs> I'll capture this moment. Um, <laughs> And the uh, the sheep, I remember very distinctly the sheep herder looking at me from across the way and giving me a like, no, please, like, don't, don't, don't do this. And I was like, I, I, well, I have no idea why he's doing that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a picture anyway. I take a picture. The flash goes off. As the flash is going off, a uh, a truck, um, like a giant, like a like a semi truck, comes around the corner as his the sheep. I, I, I'm stumbling over my words because really this is like one of my most traumatic memories. Um, it was a two-lane highway with an island in the middle, and his sheep were in the in the island, and he was he was in charge of the sheep. Like there was no chance of them going either side unless there was an eight-year-old um, asshole with a boy uh, hat and a camera. So I took a picture of the sheep, scared the sheep. They ran across the freeway, and I can still remember one of the sheep just flying up into the air and falling onto the highway and hearing a Welsh man scream in horror, and me just also screaming, crying, horrible, and my parents just telling me to get in the car. And um, you know that feeling when you know that you've done something really wrong and you you feel such terrible pain and you say to everyone around you, I'm I'm so sorry, I should die, I should just die, and no one responds. <laughs> You're just kind of sitting in that. So so I'm sitting in that for a couple of hours and we, we arrive at this campground. Uh, when we get to the campground, uh, me and my brother, as, as we normally did, like walked around the campground and kind of scoped it out and saw if there was like anything to uh, destroy, I guess. Um, and we met these two Welsh girls who were my age and immediately wanted to play with me, which was not a thing that I had experienced and was really into it. I'm pretty sure right after they said like, oh, we let, I, I'm, I'm going to try to do a Welsh accent just because fuck it. Ah! <laughs> oh, would you like to come play with us? Yeah, a creepy gypsy uh, leprechaun. Um, so these two sisters asked me to come play. I, I go and I play with them. We play very distinctly. Remember playing frisbee and playing ball, and we spent the entire weekend together. Me and these two girls. I didn't let my brother play with us, who is my best friend, my only supporter. Like who never like wouldn't let him join us because it was like you know the girl where the girls are doing stuff. So please, please hang back. Um, and uh, spent the whole weekend with them. When we would go to bed, we all slept in this VW van, and I would talk about how amazing these two girls were to my parents and be like, you know, they they, they actively want to hang out with me. 
Um, so then the last day of the trip, um, I went up to my new, uh, to my, my new best friends and, and said, Hey, um, I'm, we're actually, we're rolling out of here. And, uh, it has been, it has been amazing. I've had a really wonderful time. And they were more nervous than usual, and they kind of like walked away for a second, and talked to each other, and and then one of them walked up to me in, in a very like ceremonious way and said, "Um, Aaron, uh, will you will you be my boyfriend?" <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was a weird moment for me because I kind of was getting what I wanted from life, which was that everyone thought I was a boy, but I was still like, oh, I really, we have been uh, hanging out under false pretenses. Um, I, I immediately said, oh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a girl. I'm a girl. And she screamed in my face uh, like I had just said, oh, I, oh, I murdered your parents. Uh, screamed in my face, started crying, ran to her sister, told her the news. They both started crying and, uh, ran back to their, to their, uh, tent. And I, uh, and I walked back and again to my parents, another moment of, so, um, here's the deal. And my parents were very against me being a boy all the time, did not comfort me and just let me sit in it. That's all. Thank you. Uh, Aaron has a show uh, at, right after this recording that I'm going to go to, and you guys should go as well. Uh, come, yeah. Coming up next, the host of the Department of Promethean Science, J- uh, Joran Gargello. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, thanks, Upstairs. Thanks, Jangleheart. Particularly, thank you, the Nerdalogs. My sole credentials for being on this podcast are that I host the podcast that's coming up in the next hour, so it's a particular kindness to be included. Um, so when I was thinking about uh, first times, um, you know, I was trying to sort of think of what I might talk about, and uh, actually being in the space on Thursday kind of confirmed it for me. Uh, as I walked up those stairs and walked into the lobby here, at the Den Theater, it was like this moment where just kind of being alive in this space felt like magic. And I was kind of like, all right, okay. Uh, there's a reason for that. Um, and the reason is uh, an author by the name of Daniel Pinkwater, uh, who is my favorite author of all time. And so uh, it made me think, uh, okay, I should talk about the very first time I picked up a Daniel Pinkwater book. Uh, and it was this one, The Snark Up Boys and the Avocado of Death. Um, not not this exact one. It was a different one. It was a paperback one. I was uh, an elementary school kid in Montella, Wisconsin, in the Montella, Wisconsin Public Library. And uh, I selected this book off the shelves, which was uh, a little bit of an atypical choice because up to that point it had been all superheroes and Howard Pyle's Knights of the Round Table. So kind of an atypical choice for me to grab a paperback that had sort of the focus like three pretty homely characters, uh, Walter Galt, the narrator, Winston Bongo, his best friend, and Bentley Harrison, Saunders Matthews III, or Rat, 
uh, clustered around a basketball-sized avocado with a bunch of diodes in it. But uh, despite my outstanding literary predilections, I chose it, and uh, we took it home. And it was the very first time that uh, I'd encountered anything written by Daniel Pinkwater. And it was great. Everything he's written is great. He's a phenomenal author. Um, he manages to conjure something uh, that's so real uh, that I believed it. His The way that he uses sights and sounds and smells and people and the texture of light uh, put this place in my head that I believed was real, at least in kind of an imaginary way. But the, the thing that was great is that he grew up here in Chicago. So the setting of the novel is a, a fictional town called Baconburg, which is a version of Chicago, essentially. And the uh, the way that he manages to kind of construct these scenes where uh, the, the trio of, of, of teens walk down a, a barren uh, road or alley and then all of a sudden are in a carnival of weird people exploding with life. Um, it, it evoked such a real sense to me that uh, I, I keep having the pleasure of, of encountering that every so often here in Chicago, like coming to this, where, you know, the outside of the Den Theater is crummy. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's like, you know, abandoned stuff and like trash in the street. And, you know, I mean, it's like kind of, kind of suboptimal. But then you walk up those stairs and then you're in this beautiful lobby. And then we have three stages. And as you walk around, you're in somebody's weird sprawling house and there's like secret restrooms everywhere. So it's almost like, you know, somebody, uh, some oddball dreamer kind of like put together in their head a space that they wished would exist and then somehow it was conjured into reality and we all tangibly get to be here and that to me is uh is is what Pinkwater has done for me it's like i get in these moments where i can feel reality start to curve away from what reality normally is and then a hole gets punched in space and all of a sudden i get to sit inside a world that i believe but is inside someone else's imagination, you know? That the fact that I, I know this guy is writing makes me feel like there are doors to be opened or doors that can be opened for me that I can step through into uh, an imaginary world that is real for me. And if if anybody's seen me improvise or likes it, I feel like that's kind of what I what I do, you know? Everything every almost everything I do, I'm trying to uh Create, create an act of magic that temporarily transports me into a world that would come from Daniel Pinkwater's imagination. <laughs> so to actually be here is, uh, kind of, kind of awesome and really sort of relishing it, you know. And, uh, I guess I need to write a check to the Montello Public Library <laughs> at some point, you know, to sort of thank him. But I, I think it's gonna be a little while because, uh, at least for me, um, until this whole thing is done, you know, I'm not in your world. <laughs> this isn't Chicago. I'm in Baconburg for a little bit longer. It's just a little bit longer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Uh, our possibly final speaker, definitely our next speaker, uh, the host, former host of Four Choices Podcast, current host of An Hour with Your Ex. Uh, last night I helped him get rid of some crippling gambling debts, I hope. <laughs> Mr. Mark Coulomb. Uh, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Uh, the doorbell rings. A box is open. My mom asks if I want to watch a movie. 
Next thing I remember, uh, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker fighting each other in some gray room, which I now know to be the bowels of Cloud City. Yes, I swear to go- a God that I don't believe in that my first memory is watching Empire Strikes Back <laughs> on VHS. It is, a, without a shadow of a doubt, my first shot in the fake movie of my life. It is my origin story. Some dudes get bit by spiders. Some dudes are super sad billionaires that run around putting children in danger. I was shaped and formed and turned into this utter failure, failure of an adult by watching Empire Strikes Back. It makes perfect sense. Empire is my guide to life. It taught me how the world works in a way that nothing else has even come close to doing. First of all, what makes Empire so goddamn awesome? It's the dark, bleak middle chapter, book ended by basically children's films. Sorry, let's be honest, kids' movies. <laughs> and and, and what, it, what is life but essentially one long, dark middle chapter between the wonder of childhood and the pleasant dream of senality? I mean, the way things are going, if I can make it out of my 30s without losing both my hands, I'll be shocked. <laughs> In Star Wars, the whole movie's just one long, hey, let's go on an adventure and party with that giant dog that flies a spaceship. Whereas Empire is, hey, we're constantly on the run, you can't trust your friends, your dad's the devil. Which film is a more accurate representation of my life? I'm on the run in no particular order from anxiety, my parents' voicemails, my creditors, and as far as friends, ha, you know, I know some awesome people and I love you all, but if Lorne Michaels showed up, handed you a gun and said, put a bullet in him and you get on TV... I know exactly what would happen. And though my dad is awesome, the case could be made that my mom is in league with some sort of dark force. Luke is instructed by an ancient Jedi master, Yoda. Yoda, of course, looks like Kermit the Frog if he was dying of cancer. <laughs> and like Luke, I too learned a lot from Master Yoda. Do or do not. Is a, and, and really what has become a personal mantra of mine, size matters not. I learned how to romance the opposite sex from the Tracy and Hepburn of space, Han and Leia. And so, as you can imagine, I've spent a lot of my dating life avoiding saying I love you and being emotionally frozen. <laughs> so I ask any current and former girlfriends not to blame me for all my emotional shortcomings. Please send all mail to Mr. Lawrence Kasdan of Hollywood, California. Oh, and the ending? The ending? Han's frozen. C-3PO's broken. Leia watches the man she loves essentially die. Luke finds out his dad is a demon space Nazi who then cleaves off his hand. What the fuck? <laughs> These were kids' movies at some point. And for me, absolutely, it taught me what to expect the worst, which is, as a Star Wars fan, is pretty, a pretty good ethos to have. Hey, they're re-releasing all the movies to theater. Oh, my God, that looks amazing. Yeah, but everything looks fake as shit, and Greedo shoots first. <laughs> oh, hey, they're making new Star Wars movies. Gungans. I mean, if you think the, the writer of Regarding Henry in the movie that had Han Solo play a retard is going to make a good Star Wars movie, <laughs> I have four seasons of Felicity that will show you different. <laughs> My version of hell is being tied to a chair as all the money I've spent on Star Wars drowns me over and over again. <laughs> Fucking Star Wars. In conclusion, even though when you step back, most of Empire is a total and complete bummer, it's amazing. No matter how awful everything else connected to Star Wars has become, Empire is perfect. So please draw your own conclusions from that on how I may actually feel about my own life. My fingers are physically unable to type letters required to make that sentiment. No matter what George Lucas has done to Star Wars and the horrors that await J.J. Abrams' eventual Star Wars films, I'll always have Empire. Thank you. Really, Empire is the, the movie that sticks the most with me, too. I, uh, I saw the Star Wars trilogy when I was a little, little kid, and the only thing I remember from, like, three is the Hoth battle. I don't know why that is. <laughs>
This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.